so good to be back here again and to share with you. Uh, there was a very key verse I shared with you when I was last here, which related very much to what your pastor shared at a service when I was here earlier in the year about some of the plans that you have for the new year. And uh, the verse that was very much on my heart the last time I was here is that a great door of opportunity has opened to you, but there are many obstacles. All I can say to you today is from then to now, um, some of those obstacles are being dealt with. And uh, I'm going to leave your pastor to share more with you um, when that comes. And so just watch this space and listen to today's sermon. It is not just a weekend sermon. I believe it is a strategic sermon. But as a professor and teacher, um, what I always do is have a little test. So I'd like to test you as a congregation. And I have two um, pens, compliments of BDC, because a very small part of my time I act as an ambassador for the college, which I've been party to for many, many years. And uh, just to share with you that uh, BDC is still celebrating its 70 years. And um, fortunately, I'm still below that. Uh, not much. But uh, 70 years ago, a college was founded to broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ authentically in South Africa. And since then, we have seen hundreds, if not thousands, of students going out I just want to share testimony with you about taking ministry to the next level, which is what I'm talking about today. There's, there are game-changing moments. A game-changer came onto the campus three years ago, a two-bricks-and-a-ticky-high Filipino girl with a passion for music. And... Uh, she has moved on to campus and literally her enthusiasm, her passion has become infectious to the point that the Easter weekend, she led a BDC choir in a Dutch Reformed church where over 300 people attended. And a few weeks before that, she preached in one of our churches and announced at that church to one of the lecturer's sons that she was proposing marriage to him. <laughs> they were dating, but it was news to him. <laughs> Plus, she works for my cousin who is in Washington, D.C., in the archives. And plus, she is in fourth year. And plus, she will be going with him when they marry, to, to Zambia as missionaries. Now, against that background, I just want to share with you the wonderful people that God brings and the game-changing people. Now, I've got these two lovely pens, compliments of BDC, and the first question is this. Who led the exodus? You must put up a hand or there we are, that lady over there with the, yeah, that brick-colored top on. Come and get your pen. 
Did you get it right? <laughs> now, the second one is more difficult. So, uh, you can even go on your, your, your electronic media over this one. Um, Midian was, who was the great-great-grandfather of Midian? Because it's very significant that Jethro was a Midianite, and he has a very important history. Who was his great-great-great-grandfather? He also had a wife. They struggled to have a child, and then he had another wife, and then, and then he had a third wife. Run. Come on. There we are. Last little thing I want to share with you is I've got um, a pack of books here. One is mine, which was this one was uh, redone and republished last year, Ministry for Tomorrow. And it links to the message that we have here today, one of the reasons why I brought it with me. And uh, if you want to take it further from this message, this is a book for you. And I've linked it as a pack on the greatest prayer ever prayed, which comes from John 17. And in there is a very significant statement, which you will see at the end of today's message, why it is so important. Jesus said to the Father, I have done, not felt, thought about, I have done everything you've asked me to do. Now glorify your name. So these packs are out there. You can get them to Bianca. The pack together is 200 rand. So you have got a pack there. And I think this is the very first time that Stephen and me have had books on the same table. Let me just take this for me. Now, folks, before we go into the message today and sharing also with our um, online uh, congregation, if you can get the answers to those two questions, I can get a pen to you today. Uh, Not today, but I can get a pen to you. And I've got two pens, and uh, you just get to Jean in the office. You need to find the answers to those two questions. Of course, you've heard them already. But I want to share with you just a verse before we pray together. It's a a verse from Psalm 1 and verse 3. The person who meditates on the Word of God is like a tree planted by streams of water. Say to yourself, I'm a tree planted by streams of water. Let's say it together. I'm a tree planted by streams of water. Now, this is the key which yields its fruit in season. Yields its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither. And whatever you do, prospers. Now before we pray, I want to ask you a question. Are you sensing that you're in a season and you're about to move to another season? I think we sense that now. I think today is the beginning of winter, isn't it? I'm still grieving a loss of summer, and we're moving into winter. But if you're in a season, and you realize God is going to notch you to another season, and you want to thank God today by standing and celebrating and saying, Lord, that season is past, but now you have a new season for me. 
I'm going to ask, if that is you this morning, you're ready for this message, then I'm going to ask you just to stand, and we're just going to pray together. Just stand for those who want to do that. Dear God and Father, as people are standing in your presence, I want to thank you for the seasons you've given us. Thank you for those who are in youth season. Thank you for the lovely years that they're enjoying and we have enjoyed. Thank you, Lord, for the young married season. Thank you for the young family season. Thank you, Lord, for those middle years of season. Thank you, Lord, for the retiring years of season. Thank you for the last season. And thank you for the greatest season of all, when we can say before you, I've fought the fight, I've kept the faith, I've run the race. There is now waiting for me a crown of righteousness. Father, I pray for people who this morning would be in tiptoe expectation, perhaps, as to what the next season would be. I pray that they would be like trees planted by water, bearing fruit in its season. And Father, I pray that you would enrich them, bless them, thank you that you're for them and not against them. And I just pray as a church as well, the season of this church. And so I pray for that now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Turn with me to um, Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. Just going to read a selection because it's a long chapter. And uh, if you can just read along with me. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her sons, and one son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land, and the other's names was Eleazar, for he said, my father's God was my helper, and he saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses and his wife, came to him in the wilderness, where he was camped near the mountain of God. And Jethro sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. Very interesting scenario that is being set here. Just go down with me to um, uh, verse 13. The next day, uh, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, Listen, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? 
Moses answered him, because the people come to me and seek God's will from me. Whenever they have disputes, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you alone. You cannot handle it alone. Go down to verse 24. And Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all of Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, the simple ones they decided for themselves. And Moses sent his father-in-law away, and Jethro returned to his country. I was interested when uh, Pastor Stephen was telling me <clears throat> that you were dealing with the book of Exodus. And then um, he phoned me a few days later and he said, by the way, um, we'd like you to speak from Exodus chapter 18, where uh, we'd like you to come and share it with us. And little did he know that this has been a life mission chapter in my life. I was about 28, 29 years of age in my first church, and in typical fashion and in a typical older uh, style Baptist church, I was the pastor and I was called and paid to preach, to teach, to visit, to bury, to marry, to counsel, to look after the garden, to look after this and look after that. And uh, the deacons were more like a board of managers. You kind of sat around a table, made decisions, and by implication it meant this is what you do for the rest of the month. Congregation then of about 100 people, lovely people, pitch up on Sundays, Little bits of ministry here and there, faithful people, good people, and this is how it was. In my heart, nobody knew it, but what I was saying in myself, and I think some of you will know what it, what it feels like, you don't say it, you don't reveal it, you don't let on, but in my heart, what I was saying is, I can't do this anymore. When can I draw this to an end? I can't do it anymore. That's a dangerous place to be, and yet it is a good season to be because you're open to something new. It so happened that I was having my quiet time very diligently through the book of Exodus. And unlike you, I was not benefiting very much from chapter 15 and chapter 16. And I was just on my own, and it just was not connecting. Now, the book of Exodus has been connecting with you over Easter time 
and some of the practicalities that have been brought to you. It wasn't working for me, and I think some of you will know that as well, that sometimes you maybe are in a book of Scripture. For example, how many of you last had a quiet time out of Leviticus? And I've done it and enjoyed it and benefited from it. But uh, I got to the end of chapter 17. This is how close it was. And I just said, Lord, at the end of chapter 17, I'm just not getting much out of this. I need help. And I need help fast. Because what I was saying to myself is I can't do this anymore. Unknown to me, I turned the page to chapter 18. The lights came on. It suddenly felt like I was alone with God. It suddenly felt like God knew my heart. God knew the heart of the church, and God knew the plans and the purposes He had for me and for the church. And as I read Exodus chapter 18 and got to the end of chapter 18, I, I was in a different frame of mind. I was in a totally different state. Uh, I just sensed I'd met with God, and I knew that there was a new level of ministry that God was opening for me. What we had done was fine. It was good. It was a season. I was new. Uh, to ministry and that type of thing. It was fresh, but I got to a place where I said, I can't do this anymore. Interestingly enough, some years later, I picked up a book by Dr. James Dobson, um, Focus on the Family. As you know, Dr. Dobson was a man who traveled the United States and traveled the world and was doing it all by himself at a stage when he too wrote in his biography, he got to a stage when he said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. And his eyes fell on Exodus chapter 18, where he went through a transformative approach to his ministry and the way he was going to conduct himself. And hence, I've led you this morning to some of you where you've said to yourself, I've had a good season. We've had a good season. Maybe this church has had a good season. But the question I want to put before you this morning, is it perhaps that the time is coming for ministry to notch up to another level? Now, if that's the case and you want to answer that question, and we'll do it at different levels, I was doing it. As an employee, I was doing it as a full-time person, so it had major ramifications for me and the life of the church I was in. I want to share a few helpers with you this morning, and the first one I trust will come up onto the screen, is that you and I need to be very clear about our calling. You and I need to be very clear about our calling. Moses was very clear about a few things. And it says in verse 8, So Moses told his father-in-law about everything 
the Lord. And what I find very interesting, if you happen to understand a little bit of Hebrew, you will see even in some of your translations, it has the word L-O-R-D in capitals, which means behind that, it is the covenant name of God where Moses has had an encounter with the living, faithful, covenant God, Jehovah or Yahweh. It's in fact just four letters called the Tetragrammaton. And he told him everything the Lord had done. And he told them about the Egyptians and the Israelites, all the good things. And then it, the verse goes on in verse 8, and very accurately, and about all the hardships. Moses is very clear. He understood that life has got good parts to it. It's got struggle parts to it. But God is involved in all of it. And about all the hardships they had had along the way. And listen to this, how the Lord had rescued them. Now, friends, if you are in that place today where you can testify like Moses was able to testify about your calling, where you have been from, how God has rescued you, you are in fact a good, in a good place for the next level. Moses was a game changer. Moses was a turnaround agent. And one of the things that I have had to realize about myself is that I am best when I am a turnaround agent. Moses understood that. I've come to understand that. Turnaround agents get very restless with the status quo. They're always looking for the next edge that God wants to move something. And Moses understood that. If you go into the New Testament, John the Baptist was a person who was very clear about his calling. I can still remember being at college in my principal's office, and one of the head students came to me and he said, Sir, would you be my mentor? And I said, No. But anything you can learn from me, learn. But I don't want you to follow me, I want you to follow Christ. And if you can learn something from me, and this is where I want you to start. I want you to start where John the Baptist started. When people came to him and said, are you the Christ? He said no. But he didn't stop there. He was able to say what he wasn't, and yet he was able to say what he was. Now, a lot of people are able to say what they're not, but they're not able to say what they are. So I said to this guy, if you want me to be your mentor, which I'm saying I don't really want to be in the classic sense of the word where we meet and all that type of thing very often, the first thing I want you to do is to discover what you're not and to discover what you are. John said, I'm not the Christ, but what I am, I am the voice of one preparing the way. He must increase, I must decrease. 
What Moses was not clear about, while he was very clear about his calling, he was not clear about how to manage the next stage of ministry, which was now settled ministry. You see, he was a great game changer. He was a great turnabout agent, a great leader who could lead them through the Red Sea. But now they were a settled community and he didn't know how to manage it. If you go to your New Testament and a, a verse like Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, which is very encouraging, it says this, And Christ ascended up on high, leading captivity captive. And he gave gifts to people. First, apostles. Now, what is the word apostle? It's built on a word, apostello, which simply means to send at the grassroots level. There are people who are there to start things, not necessarily to finish them. And the apostello, just by the way, do you know that there's no word for missionary in the Bible? What word do you have for missionary? It's essentially an apostello. It is a sending person. Moses was a great apostle. First apostle. Prophets, these are spokesmen who come alongside the movers and the shakers. Evangelists, these are those who every time they speak have such a spirit of anointing and convincing to people that people flock to Christ through their ministry. And then pastor and teacher. These are people who care for all the results and the chaos that the apostles have created and the prophets have created and the evangelists have brought together. And they, these are the ones who say, listen, Let's form a community. Let's form an ecclesia. Let's form a church. I can remember 11, 12 years ago. That's what some of you did. Let's form an ecclesia. Be convinced. Be convinced of your calling. Second thing that you need to do is be convinced of your methods. Be convinced of your methods. While showing his father-in-law around, Jethro shadowing him, and I know what it is to do that. I remember in 1985, flying across the United States to one of the mentors in my life, and uh, a man by the name of Dr. Tom Eliff, and I remember going and he invited me to his church, invited me to preach, and I followed him. I shadowed him. I went to meetings with him. Wherever he went, I went. And wherever he spoke, I was watching 
all the time. Now Jethro came along and he said, listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to shadow you, Moses. Now just remember who Jethro is. He comes out of the line of Abraham. The line of Isaac was his father. And he has been in a settled community as a nation of people. And he has been through this experience and he is shadowing Moses. And it says over here, so what, what do you think? As Moses looks at him and he says to him, Jethro, what do you think? Reminds me of the time that um, Pastor Yongi Cho, uh, he was the pastor, South Korea, of the biggest church in the world. Wasn't in America, wasn't in Europe, wasn't in South Africa, was in South Korea. The first time he went to the United States and he shadowed a few people and they asked him, what do you think? And they were expecting him to say, wow, you've got beautiful buildings, and they do. He was expecting them to say, wow, you have got incredible programs. You've got incredible mission support. He was expecting them to say something good, and after a while, he looked down and he said, I looked around and I see that you don't pray. Well, when Moses was talking, Showing him everything, his father-in-law said to him, I'm afraid to tell you something. The way I see it, what you're doing and the way you're doing it is not good. Now, at first you might think, well, that's an insult. It's not necessarily an insult. It is telling you that while your methodology has come to a certain place, it could be that you need to open yourself for another model. John Wesley, how many Methodists, ex-Methodists? A few Methodists here. John Wesley, what a great uh, theologian leader. What a great evangelist. Charles Wesley, what a great theologian and what a great hymn writer. These were two brothers together with a few others who met together at university and they formed a little club called the Holy Club, which was known to be very methodical. You thought Methodist was in the Bible, didn't you? Methodical. They were Methodists, they were people who had methods. And this is what the two brothers ended up by saying. Listen to what they said. Our message has to be from the Bible, not negotiable. Now that was a new thing for them because they had both come out of the very traditional church and uh, this was a serious change for these two brothers. And the second thing they said, our mission has to come from the Bible. It's not negotiable. The great commission, the great commandment is not negotiable. However, they said this, our methods 
need to be pragmatic, meeting the times in which we live. See, there are all kinds of methods in the Bible. There are the prophetic method, the apostolic method, there's the prophetic method, there is the evangelistic method, there are these stages, there are stages in the Exodus. There are stages leaving Egypt. There are stages going up the mountain. There are stages of settling. There are stages moving on further across to Palestine. Methodology needs to be what is God saying you should do and how to do it. And be very careful about getting stuck in methodology. Jethro, a seasoned leader of the Midianite people, said this to Moses. Moses, listen to me, because up to this time, who was talking? What do leaders do? They talk. Up to this time, Jethro couldn't get a word in. He said, Moses, listen to me, and I will give you some advice. And in verse 24, it says, And Moses listened to his father-in-law and implemented everything he said. Now, folks, I don't know if you can see the power of that verse. Here was someone open to change. Here was someone open to advice. Here was someone open to look toward the future as to what the future should be and how it should be done. From a pioneer to a practitioner, Moses, for the first time, is to become a settled pastor. Very different. Very different. My question I'm putting to you this morning, what change might you have to implement? The third thing I want to share with you, be committed to a strategy. Be committed to a strategy. Now, one of the things I am not normally short of is getting a plan together. I might have many weaknesses. It may be how I implement a plan. Uh, I've learned to be more gentle and more strategic and more... Um, listening in the way I do it, but have a plan I will have. Well, this was my first ministry strategic plan that I had. I called a meeting of the diaconate. Remember that body, that diaconate. It's a body of managers who manage the church. And many of you have been on diaconates in one sense of the word. There's not much ministry, a little bits and pieces depending on the people, but not much strategic ministry. It's a decision-making body. And I called them together and I said, guys, I'm going to share my testimony, which is what I've shared with you this morning. There was absolute silence because I think they could see where I was going. I said, we are going to move from management to ministry. And this is what it means. I won't unpack 
everything that it meant. But what I can say to you today, it became the turning point in that church, my next church, and every church I've been involved with, it has become a turning point as I've looked at this passage of Scripture. And there are two things that I want to share with you which I believe could probably summarize something of what those plans involved. The first one, which I trust is up on the screen, was the importance of delegation. It's all too easy to keep things to yourself. And sometimes the system and the organization and the kind of church that I was called into did not allow for delegation. This was going to be new. And in verse 21 it says, while you teach and lead. You see, sometimes some people over-delegate and they actually become irresponsible. You cannot leave your responsibilities and your primary responsibilities. It says and goes on to say, select capable people from all the people. Now I want to tell you, they were... Uh, Humble jumble of people. Don't think that this was a pure race of Israel. They had intermarried with Egyptians. They had been part of idolatry. They had been part of all this type of thing. You had this mix mesh of people. And Moses is saying, I want you to go through and among the people and choose those. Listen to this. And if only I could speak to the president of South Africa today or any president of any country, let me tell you, if you took this advice, there would be far less corruption in this nation. Listen to this. Move among the people and find those who fear God. What a place to start. Find people who fear God. And number two, those who are trustworthy. You see what I'm saying? The Zondo report is evidence of what I'm saying. Those who are trustworthy, who hate dishonest gain. And he said this. Appoint them as officials over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, over tens. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Not everybody is a captain of a thousand, but there are some who are, and there's nothing demeaning to be a captain of 10, if God has gifted you to be a captain of 10 and you are faithful in doing it, praise God, do it to your best. But I've got news for you. If you are faithful in small things, God is going to give you bigger things. Fast track to Acts chapter 6. There is a dispute between widows and the giving of food at church. 
What happens? They choose seven men from among them who are filled with the Holy Spirit. You mean you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be a car guard? Yes. You mean you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be a server of coffee? Yes. That's the way they did it. Find those who are filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom and turn these responsibilities over to them. But as for us, we will concentrate on the Word and concentrate on prayer. I want to say this to you, friends. Don't let anything distract your elders and your pastors from preaching the Word doing the word and prayer. Look how the team is developing. I fast-tracked a little bit more and brought up a second word, delegation and discipleship. I then noticed how Jesus, the Son of God, did it. I've got a whole chapter in that book. What's so important about Jesus? What would you expect of Jesus and ministry? Religiously, let him do it all. He's the son of God. He did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, but emptied himself and took the form of a servant and even humbled himself to the point of a cross. Let him do it. What does Jesus do? From all the disciples, and by the way, we are all disciples. Let's call disciples with a small d. It says, he called from all the disciples, just like Moses went from the nation. And he appointed disciples with a capital D whom we know, Peter, John, Andrew, etc. Disciples are mathate. They are people who are learners and teachers. Were they perfect people? Have you looked at how some of them squabbled? Have you looked at how they had ambitions? Some of them even got their mother involved. Please, can you sort it out with Jesus that when he comes in his kingdom, we can sit on his left and his right? One even betrayed him and paved the way for the cross. Folks, we're not dealing with perfect people. So he calls 12 capital D disciples and they walked with him. It didn't take long and he said, I want to take you another level. From among the small D disciples, I want you to find 70. Why 70? Well, I call these rifle shots. Calling 12 meant you were implementing 
something in the place of the nation of Israel. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure he's not. When you're calling 70 and you go back to Deuteronomy, you discover that Moses appointed 70 elders. This is now too much. He is who he says he is. He is the Son of God, but the Son of God trusts people. And he entrusts, listen to these words, he gave them permission to preach and to heal and to cast out demons. Folks, I want to tell you something. One of the things that I have done, one of the things that I'm doing right now is I am making space for younger people, for newer people, to come in. I'm giving permission to younger pastors, to newer pastors, to gifted pastors, right in your church, or some of those who've been in my classroom. I could have kept this all to myself, impossible, but what I've done is given it to others. But I'm not finished yet. He found the 12. He brought the 70. And then he found you and me when he said, you go into all the world and make disciples. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. I was part of a turning turnabout agent in a church, and one of the things I started doing was this. And the first thing you get is opposition. One of the elders came to me and he said, Preacher, he said, What's this business you allowing an unordained man in our church to baptize new converts? So I said, what's the issue? He said, you the ordained one, you should be. I said, is there anywhere in Scripture where it says ordained people must do the baptism? In fact, we have little evidence of how many people Jesus baptized. We have very little evidence of how many people Paul baptized. And he actually says to the Corinthians, I purposely didn't baptize you, and I can hardly remember who I baptized because they would want to pull a trump card. Do you know who's on the carpet right now? Have you got it? Every one of you. Every one of you. So let me go to the last point which I've got this morning. And it's a very important point. We need to be considerate of others. Have you noticed how considerate Jethro was of his family? Moses was his father-in-law. Moses' wife was his daughter. His two grandsons. This little family was at risk because of the ministry. 
at this stage of my life, I think I have some reason and credentials for me to speak to younger families and pastors in the ministry. And sometimes I come between them and conflict or them and bad choices, choices I've made, because this season of my life, I'm caring for Moses. Verse 18, notice, you... And these people. Now, I want to say something very personally here to you, to you this morning. And I'm even um, a little afraid that I'm even online. But let me just say this to you. If the pastor and its elders or the pastor or pastors and their elders are worn down, you will suffer. You and these people will only wear yourselves out. You can't do it like this anymore. Just like I said, kneeling in my study on a cold day with Exodus 17 and then 18 in front of me. Lord, I can't do this anymore. I cannot tell you how many times I hear that. Thank God, it's not the end of the road, it's a new way. It's a new way. Jethro considered Moses and his family. Moses had to consider the congregation. And he says to Moses, Moses, you don't quit here. Verse 19, pray for your people. You know what? To have a loving, caring pastorate, because I know you have more than one pastor and you have a team of elders with it. To have a loving, caring eldership, a loving, caring team, which I believe you have, I have no reason to believe you don't, is a wonderful gift, and you need to thank God for people who are praying for you, caring for you, and loving you. I had a pastor of a church who was, I was guiding, and I guide all kinds of churches. I've just completed a relationship from Musina to Margate. You can't get further than that. One of the pastors asked me, Pastor, what is the greatest thing I can do for my people as I am inducted into this pastorate, I said to let your people know that you love them. Pray for your people. Verse 20, teach them the decrees and the laws, the laws of God and show them how to live and the duties to be performed. And let me say this, each person must be respected. I respect captains of thousands. I'm amazed at the leadership qualities that God has given to champions around our country. I respect leaders of hundreds. 
I respect leaders of 50s. And I respect leaders of 10s. And let me say this, I respect leaders of 1s. Listen to the testimony of one of our leaders in the church, one church that I'm involved with. And he shared the testimony of how when he was at university, he was the one who woke a man up and said, come to church. He was the one who sorted out a taxi for that man to get to church. He was the one who encouraged him when he was downcast. Today, that man he led, that man he encouraged, is the Archbishop of the Anglican community of South Africa today. He cared for one. Don't underestimate what God has called you to do. Jesus himself said, to one I have given ten, to another I have given five, to another I have given just one. It is your duty to be faithful. Well done. Good. You know, what, you know what's so exciting? God is not going to compare you with anybody else in this church in the future. When you get to heaven, God is not going to compare you to anybody else. He's simply going to say, what did I give you? And were you? Let's say it. Were you? That's my word to you today. I close with two stories. A man by the name of Jim Elliott, who tragically lost his life in 1958, on the first day of arriving to his mission assignment to the Alka Indians. Before that, he penned in his diary, life is not a vacation. Life is a job to be done. Might sound a little harsh to you, but until I turn to Acts chapter 17, the greatest prayer ever prayed. Father, I have done everything you've given me to do. And in that, you and I must be, we must be, C.T. Studd was an outstanding English cricketer, 1860 to 1931. One day day after a good game of cricket, walked off the pitch and smashed his bat. Not that there's anything wrong with cricket, but there was something wrong with cricket for him. He simply said these words. I think you've heard these words today. I can't do this anymore. In 1882, he became the only second Englishman to achieve the double of a thousand runs and a hundred wickets in one season. In 1885, 
He became one of the Cambridge Seven who set off to China and a new level of ministry began. Folks, that's where I want to close today. I sense that for some of you, even for this church, there's a new notch, a new season that God has for you. Find it, be faithful to it, and like a tree planted by water, the words of another great missionary, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. Let's pray together. Dear Father, in what could almost be a holy moment in our lives, you've called us to be faithful with the gifts you've given to us the opportunities, the doors that you've opened. Father, I just bring each person here. I would be absolutely amazed to hear all the testimonies, all the feelings, all the prayers that are in this congregation here today because this is a message about me and you. And Moses listened to all that his father-in-law said and he implemented what he was told to do. Father, I just commend every single one of these good, lovely people to you today knowing that you will be faithful and you will be with them even to the end of the age. And all God's people said,